done. I know some more Italian now. Still not a lot, but I know how to say they take the measurements, and that's what really matters. Nice. <laughs> how do you say they take the measurements? Prendi le misure. Wow. I don't know when I'm going to need that. I guess if I ever end up working in an Italian opera house. <laughs> and they're like, and they ask you if the stage manager has taken the measurements. And I'm saying they take them right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the it's the only time I'll ever need, need to know how to say prende le misure. So I hope that happens just for my, for my sanity. I mean, I guess for you, it's not probably Friday. It's probably Wednesday. Yeah, but probably, <laughs> probably Wednesday. Well, I don't know when people listen. We oh, premiere right. these on Wednesdays, but maybe like they're catching right. up on another day of the week. Right. I was about to be like, Jane, do you not know when these come out? <laughs> no, they come out on Wednesdays, but you know what I mean. Yes, I understand you now. Um, welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. And here we are. Here we are. Recording late in the eve. I know. 1040. Hey, don't fall asleep during my segment. I go second, so. Okay. How are you, Sarah? <laughs> I'm good. I'm, I'm all right. I, um, if it's okay with you, I'd like to take a minute to talk about the Sudan massacres. Oh, please tell me. Because I know so little about this. That's why I just said, please tell me. Yeah. I know so little about it. So I just like quickly Googled it because people were sharing some stuff on Instagram about it today. And I was like, they were saying like, look at all this attention we gave Notre Dame. And, yeah. like, we have to give, and I was like, absolutely. You were right. We are not giving this enough attention. So... I'm going to start on not the most, like, upbeat, funny mo- note, but I still think it's important to I talk about. I think both have topics this week that are not super heavy, so yeah, I think it's okay if we touch on something heavy to start off in the beginning. Okay, so we're going to start with some heavy stuff, and then we're going to get into some fun stuff later. Yeah. But let's be serious, because being serious is also important. So, the Sudan massacres... Um, I'm reading this almost exactly off of CNN, just to let you know. Um, So everything with the Sudan uprising started in December um, when rallies began against Omar al-Bashir. And the movement ended up removing President Bashir, who was president of Sudan since 1989, um, when he led a coup that ousted the previous government. Yeah. And even though he's been technically, quote, re-elected, like, they weren't democratic elections. Mm-hmm. So the protests started late last year, and numerous deaths were reported as security forces, quote, used excessive force and violence against demonstrators. Um, and one Sudanese demonstrator said that the situation is getting very bad. A lot of people are dying, and they are also torturing a lot of people. Um, so we are here to protest that and to ask the international community to stand with the Sudanese people. Mm-hmm. Um, so after months of protest, Bashir was arrested in April and removed from power in a military coup announced by Sudanese Defense Minister Awad Mohammed Ahmed Imouf, I think is how you say that. Auf. His last name is I-B-N-A-U, space A-U-F. That, that, that's okay. his full name. So I'm not exactly sure how to say that. I apologize. But I think it's Awad Mohammed Ahmed Inbin Auf. Um, and he, he said a military council would take control to oversee a transition of power. Um, but the protesters are still, like, in the streets. Um, 
because originally the military council and opposition group had agreed to a three-year transition to democracy, but like those talks broke down mm-hmm. in May. Um, and now they're not really exactly trusting the military regime to like have a fair democratic leadership. So people are in the streets and demanding the downfall of the regime and not recycling, you know, just a new a new president with the same flaws and lack of care for democracy. Yeah. Um, so a mass civil disobedience campaign also emerged nationwide since May. And the effort, which this week rendered the streets of capital Khartoum mostly deserted, includes not going to work and, quote, general civic disobedience for a civil state. Soldiers and paramilitary groups earlier this month opened fire on a pro-democracy sit-in in Khartoum, leaving at least 118 people dead in this one day of massacres. The Sudan is sliding into a human rights abyss, a United Nations expert said, calling for an independent investigation. Why am I here? Like, why have I heard nothing about this? I know, 118 people died earlier this week. I feel like on one hand it shows the state of our world that we're constantly getting horrible news like that on a daily basis, but at the same time, why are we hearing about other things that affect mm-hmm. far fewer people right? and not hearing anything Well, it also this. has everything to do with that these are brown people. <laughs> yeah, that's my point. Yes. Like, uh, if this happened in Italy, we would hear about it. Yeah. You know? So this is what the U.S. has been doing. So, uh, obviously, critics have accused the White House of inaction. There's that. Um, the State Department appointed a veteran diplomat as its special envoy for Sudan. The State Department is engaging with officials in the region and welcomes calls from the African Union, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia for an end to violence and a resumption of dialogue. The special envoy, Donald Booth, will lead the U.S. push for a political solution that reflects the will of the Sudanese people. Um, and he served as, as a special envoy for Sudan and South Sudan from 2013 to 2017. And he is currently in Sudan with the Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs to meet with leaders and call for an end on tax on civilians. Oh, I also haven't mentioned that there have also been 70 rape cases since all of this started in Sudan. Yeah. So security forces have killed at least 124 people in the capital and across the country in a sweeping crackdown, according to protest organizers. It's been revealed that over 700 people have been injured from the chaos in the African country. Hospitals in Khartoum have reported 70 cases of rape following attacks on protesters. Um, Mohamed Matar, who, age 26, was one of those killed in the protest. He was a student at London's Brunel University, and he was shot on June 3rd while protecting two women from Sudanese militia. Um, and so social media users have been turning their profile picture blue, Muhammad's favorite color, and show of solidarity to all the victims of the crackdown. Um, so a lot of Twitter and Instagram feeds all across the world are awash with blue as they honor their memories and kind of take a stand on what was going on. And it's kind of become the symbol for the Sudan revolution. Um, and people are tweeting it and making it their profile picture with the hashtag blue for Sudan. Uh, Jeez. So essentially, that's essentially what is going on. Um, I just want to take a moment to explain that because I yeah. also needed some clarification. Yeah. Well, literally the only thing I had known mm-hmm. about it was someone saying like, someone tweeted something along the lines of, we need to be caring about the Sudan just as much, if not more than we cared about Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. It was, I thought it was important to talk about because it's not exactly being talked about. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not being talked about, especially when we don't have cable. I could definitely make more of an effort to, like, go on YouTube and watch the news. Like, I know you do that, but I don't. So, like, most of the news that I get is literally through Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Um, Which I know isn't necessarily correct, but it's just, like, 
that's just end up what ends yeah. up happening. And that's not because that means most of the information I'm getting is very America centric or Eurocentric. You know, it's not it's not coming up. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure if you lived in a border country or closer to the conflict, maybe it would be coming up, you know? But it's not over here. But just because we're over here doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we can't not care about it. So I'm great, but that's going on. <laughs> anyway, how are you? <laughs> um, I'm doing pretty good. It's about to be our last week of school before I leave for Maine for the summer. And that's oh my gosh. kind of a lot for me. I'm kind of not ready to go like I'm gonna miss my kids so much but also like I'm gonna miss you stop I'm gonna cry we're probably gonna are we gonna record another episode before we go today's Friday yeah yeah we'll record next weekend but I'm not looking forward to saying goodbye to my kids because I work at a couple different schools and I know I've been told by our boss that I will be at one school next year essentially yeah which means I'm gonna have to say goodbye to someone or another either one or both groups of children and mm-hmm. I'm not looking forward to that yeah <laughs> but yeah it's really it's really sad I've started to get emotional like when I say goodbye to the kids each day because I'll be like five more times of this you know yeah. like it's starting it's starting to feel very real and even like one of my students just went on vacation for two weeks and he came back and he was taller and I was like I can't imagine how different you're gonna look after two and a half months the kids grow so fast we sound like parents me too my kids (laughs) there's some kids that I'm like I swear you were tiny when the semester started yeah it's crazy kids do grow really quickly um should we get started sure okay I'm super excited I forgot you were doing a conspiracy theory and nothing gets me at 1051 on a Friday night like a conspiracy theory. theory. So here we go. Here we go. Woo! So you were wondering about the Black Knight satellite. I was indeed. And I'm here to tell you all about it. I love a space conspiracy. It is a space conspiracy. Now to start off, I'm going to give a clarifying definition that helped me a lot and I think will help you. I love that. That a satellite. When Mm -hmm. When you think of a satellite, I feel like the first thing we think of is like uh, yeah, like the thing that NASA puts in space, like it's a thing that records things and it's up there or it's sending signals. Yeah. Technically, there are two definitions for a satellite. Mm. And one is an artificial body placed in orbit around Earth or the moon or another planet in order to collect information or for communication. But there's also an like a definition for like astronomy purposes mm-hmm. that is just a celestial body orbiting the Earth or another planet. So that means like space debris, rocks, oh. things that are in space orbiting, those are all satellites also. It doesn't have to be a technology. So quick fact, how many human-made satellites do you think there are Human right now? Made? Yeah. I feel like I'm going to really lowball it or I'm going to highball it. I don't know because we use satellites for everything now. Um, 55. Oh, no, way more. Oh, okay. Um, I'm just gonna jump up. Um, twelve thousand less, much less. <laughs> <laughs> no, but your instincts are right to jump to the thousands because there are around three thousand human-made satellites in working order around the Earth. Whoa, that's crazy. How they never show up in NASA's pictures. No, 
Um, well, I feel like NASA's pictures are really like from far away, and these are all uh, like they're pretty tiny. Probably in the, retrospect, yeah. yeah. Um, however, if you, if the debris of old and damaged satellites are taken into account, the number increases dramatically. Ever since the Soviet Union launched launched the very first artificial satellite into orbit in 1957, various countries around the world have sought to compete, and satellites today are used for communication, navigation, and exploration. So there's a lot of stuff up there in space. Cool. That have been up there. I don't know why I said 55. There are more than 55 countries. <laughs> uh, the biggest one that like is easiest to find in space is the International Space Station. Yes. Uh, which is 100 meters across. The Black Knight conspiracy theory is this. Okay. It is a conspiracy theory that claims that there is a spacecraft in near polar orbit of the Earth that is of extraterrestrial origin. Oh. And that NASA is engaged in a cover-up regarding its existence. <gasps> this revolves around a, a large timeline. Oh. So let's get into it. And I will start by saying no one knows when it was first called the Black Knight Satellite. No one knows where that name really first came from. Everybody pretty much agrees that this whole thing starts in 1899 with Nikola Tesla. <gasps> Oh my gosh, shout out to my little Natalie. She's obsessed with him. (laughs) He is a Serbian inventor and electrical engineer who produced works which explored the idea of radio and wireless transmission. Mm -hmm. And in 1899, uh, he was doing a series of experiments in Colorado. Yeah. Um, He was specifically working um, on investigating the wireless distributions of electricity and... To do that, he was using this machine called a magnifying transmitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uh, claimed to be intercepting signals. And From space? Y- <laughs> yes. Uh, the signals he was receiving were um, in the form of timed pulses. And they always came in the same number and the same order. Oh. So he interpreted them as like, the first one, the second one, third one. So he would say it would be with like one, two, three. And they were always at the same interval. So it was the same. So he received it multiple times. It was the same signal. Yeah. But he received this signal when he was alone in his laboratory at night. No one else saw it. Wow. So it's so people were kind of like. How do you know it was from space? I'll get into that. Okay. Well, basically, there are a lot of things on Earth. Mm-hmm. And of natural origin in space that he we knew about beforehand that emit signals. Yeah. Like electrical storms emit signals. Aurora right. Borealis emit signals. And then just like things on Earth emit signals. Right. But he claimed that this sounded different than anything um, oh. that came from Earth. And also the fact that it was a repeated signal that always sounded the same, was always the same number, was That's always in the natural. same order. He was sure it came from some intelligent source. And he wow. <laughs> he believed it came from another planet, and he guessed Mars. So he believed that it was a message from Mars. Um, and he published this article um, called Talking with Planets. Oh. Yeah. Um, in which he basically said that, like, he was sure it was a message from another planet. I love that. But here's kind of the funny thing about it mm-hmm. is that... <laughs> He decided that while he was like, wow, we're, this is a message from a being from another planet. But 
I have more important things to deal with right now. Like, I have more important scientific discoveries. Like so predicting the sinking of the Titanic? Maybe. Um, he did predict that. He did? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he was like, I have to go predict the Titanic. I, like, this is not high enough priority for me. <laughs> right. So he was like, yeah, yeah, I got a message from another planet, but, like, I'm not going to do anything with it. Like, it's up to you guys. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't think that's that, that important. That sounds like Tesla. Yeah. And he was interviewed at one point by by who by who the red cross society they asked him in an interview what he thought would be like the most significant scientific advancement that we would make in the next century and he said he thought it would most likely be confirming that we were receiving that signal from Mars, interpreting <laughs> it, and talking back. Oh. So he was like, yeah, the most important thing we got to do is talking that. I'm not going to do it, but, you know. It's super important. It's super important. It's going to happen, but <laughs> uh, it's not going to be for me. Um, yeah, he specifically said it would be the confirmation and interpretation of the planetary challenge to us. Like, he believed that the people from Mars were like, Sending us the signal one, two, three, and he was like, "Okay, we have to send back four. Is basically oh, what he wanted us yeah. to do. Uh, if you get four to them, they'll to know. convey that we know what their message means. So he's like, "Yeah, I found proof of life on another planet. We're not gonna get there yet. Someone else do it. And like, like ways to record this didn't exist n- yet. No. <laughs> but what kind of machine was he receiving the signals through? It was like a machine that could just like hear electrical impulses in the oh, air okay. and yeah." Um, cause he was studying yeah. electricity. Uh, yeah. um, scientists today believe that he heard something, but they don't believe that it was a message from an interplanetary, from, from another, like Martian. Yeah. They don't believe it was Martians. Um, oh, he also said it wasn't like, it's not necessarily Martians, but more often than not, he referred to them as like the Martians or whatever planet they're from. Is how he would like phrase it. Um, Tesla's little aliens. Yeah. Um, there are some natural extraterrestrial repeating sources that could send signals like that. Like since then, um, in 1967, Northern Irish astrophysicist Jocelyn Bell Brunell discovered pulsars, oh. which are fast spinning neuron stars that emit a rhythmic signal. So, like, they would send a repeated, like, one, two, three signal. Oh. But we don't necessarily know that pulsars were what he was hearing, but scientists today are like, you probably heard something like pulsars. Okay. It probably wasn't an alien. Mm-hmm. Um, but fun fact Lame. about pulsars is that before we had discovered them and we, like, had signals from them, they were jokingly referred to by scientists as little green men signals. <laughs> <laughs> It's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Little green men signals. But people who believe in the Black Knight satellite conspiracy believe that Tesla was hearing something from the gotcha. Black Knight satellite. Gotcha. Shortly after, I don't have an exact year, but shortly after 1899, before 1927, somewhere in that year, um, Italian inventor Guglielmo Marconi. Oh. He invented the telegraph. Oh, hey! <laughs> uh, he was an inventor and electrical engineer. Uh, he also intercepted a signal, and he was... Okay. I also know about him <laughs> yeah. because of the Titanic. He was sending out Morse code messages, and he found that some of his messages were repeated back to him. And then in 1927, Jorgen Halsey, 
at the University of Oslo, Norway. He's a civil engineer. He was listening to radio transmissions. Mm. And he heard what is now referred to as LDEs, which is a long-delayed echo. And basically, he was listening to radio signals, and he was finding that certain radio signals that he was receiving, like normal radio signals, not anything extraterrestrial, but like he would receive the signal, and then for some unknown reason, the signal would echo a couple seconds later. And scientists couldn't find any explanation for it. Mm. They... There was irrefutable proof that these echoes were happening, but it didn't make any sense why Why? they were happening. Yeah. And the main thing about it is that radio waves can travel at a speed of super fast. Super fast. (laughs) Radio waves can travel around the Earth in one-seventh of a second. So it didn't make any sense why some of these signals had delays of three to 15 seconds. Oh. Like, you'd hear the signal... Three to 15 seconds would go by, and then you'd hear exactly the same signal again. That's weird. And so people had no... So a lot of scientists started looking into why these now long-delayed echoes were happening. And some people thought that maybe, like, the signals were going off into space and, like, bouncing off of something. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, what's in space that it's bouncing off of? Yeah. Well, I think what modern conspiracy theorists who believe in the Black Knight conspiracy think happened is that the signals would go out someone on the black knight satellite would like get it and send it back Mm, and so that three to five second delay was just like their computer receiving it and sending it back yeah i think yeah um that makes sense that's as much as i could interpret but ldes will come back okay so remember ldes ldes it's locked in long delayed echoes remember those scientists tried to find an explanation and even today there is not an agreed upon explanation for why ldes happen wow all right, so jumping ahead 27 years. It's May 14th, 1954. Okay. The St. Louis Dispatch and the San Francisco Examiner both wrote articles in which they said that the U.S. had found a strange satellite in space. But at the time, just because of when it was, you know, Cold War stuff was kind of happening. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Um, they believed that it was a surveillance satellite put there by the Russians. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. To spy on the United yeah. States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we've talked about the Cold War so many times. Yeah. <laughs> we flirted with it. We've, we've, we've really never really done. We've teased it. <laughs> um, but, and then on August 23rd, 1954, in the same year, uh, there were two... It might have been the same story, but it was released in a couple different tech magazines, mm-hmm. Aviation Week and Space Technology. Uh, they both claimed that the Pentagon had found two satellites orbiting the Earth that were of unknown origin, but they said they were natural. So okay. they weren't even saying anything about the Pentagon that was like sketchy. They were like, oh, the Pentagon like saw some rocks in space or something. Like there's right. something orbiting Earth that the Pentagon has found. But the Pentagon's reaction made people really suspicious. Oh. Because the Pentagon immediately came out. They were very angry at the magazines for publishing that. And they very vehemently said the only thing that could be is asteroids. Oh. It's nothing. There's no, there's nothing man-made that we have <laughs> seen Pay no space. attention to Yeah, the they were satellite. like, don't look at that. It's an asteroid. <laughs> Pay no attention. These are not the satellites you are looking for. So everyone was like, all right. They're, the fact that they immediately were so angry at those magazines for saying anything yeah. and were so quick to be like, it's an asteroid. Don't think about it. Yeah. Uh, but because 
the Pentagon so vehemently denied this. People were very suspicious and they were of two minds. They were like, either that's the Soviet spying on us and for some reason pen- the Pentagon doesn't want us to know about it. Maybe they want us to act natural. Maybe they, yeah, yeah, don't panic. Yeah. Um, or it's aliens. Like right. people are right. Blah, blah, blah. No one. I don't blame them. I don't I know. Also, I'm a very suspicious person. <laughs> I'd be like, you're not telling the truth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Did also, you hear me talking about the moon conspiracy? I was like, really well formed technology, too convenient. Yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure we know that those things weren't asteroids. So the fact mm. that everyone's like, okay, you lied about that, makes everybody like, okay, well then what was, was it? it? Yeah. Um, and then in March of 1960. Here's this is this is where it gets going. Ooh, ooh. It always gets going in the yeah. 60s. <laughs> in March of 1960, another satellite was found. <gasps> now, this satellite is what people refer to as the Black Knight satellite. Um, Enter Black Knight. Yeah, and around in this time, the 1960s, that was when the British launched mm-hmm. the Black Knight uh, rocket. So that's why they assumed that that's where that name came from. Right. But we don't know for sure. Um, so. <laughs> This satellite that they found was a large black object weighing as much as 15 tons. Oh my yeah, gosh. In polar orbit around the Earth. And polar orbit um, means that the polar regions of the Earth are passed over uh-huh. um, and the orbit of the object forms a plane that contains the polar axis. Oh. So, like, it's basically, yeah. like, when we think of most things orbiting the Earth, they're basically going around it, what we think of as horizontally, but yeah. it's going around vertically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which, that's unusual. Mm-hmm. And this is important to note because neither the U.S. nor the Soviets at that time knew how to put an object into polar orbit. Oh. So people were like, so neither of them could have done that. Um, <laughs> also, neither country had the capability to get an object of that weight yeah. into space. That's so heavy. Um, also. If you've seen First Man, those shuttles, are, they're like, <laughs> they jingle. <laughs> they, j- <laughs> they jingle. They are rough. Um, also, also, the object was moving at a speed twice as fast as any other known object in space at the time. That's crazy. So it's like, that's part of why and this was, is confirmed. This isn't like a theory that they found this. Like, we know for a fact that they found this satellite. It's there. Okay, it is there. There's a black object in the sky that we don't know what it is. It's still there? It's, it's still there. This is so creepy, Sarah. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm so scared. <laughs> oh my God. You're going to sleep in my room tonight. All right. So all right. All right. <laughs> so astronomers began to study this object. Because As we should. Um, because not only was were all of these things true about it, but uh, it gets kind of creepier. No! <laughs> it, it was doing this thing, and I think it still does this thing, that's really creepy, where oh, no. we're just going to call this object the Black Knight Satellite. That's fine. It would disappear. Shut up. <laughs> and come back. No! <laughs> At random times that we... random times that we could not predict um if it didn't seem correlated to any events literally not at all (laughs) robert l johnson the director of the adler planetarium uh was quoted to say the object doesn't even have the decency to maintain a regular schedule (laughs) (laughs) it has no manners whatsoever um like any other heavenly or man-made object we don't know when to watch for it 
Oh, I hate this scene. <laughs> I regret asking. Oh no. It's I thought so this I thought this was gonna be like bird truth or No, it's real, this is, man. This is scary. <laughs> I don't like it. Okay, so <laughs> Stanford scientist Ronald Brazewell, um, he believed that it was a way for distant alien civilizations to communicate with Earth. His theory is that it's um, a probe sent out to search for other planets with intelligent life forms and that it's just up there waiting for us to figure out how to send it the correct signal. And once we figure that out, then it will send a signal back. But like like his theory is that some alien civilization has sent out a bunch of probes waiting for other intelligent forms of life to be like, oh, there's a thing there. Let's send it a message to see if it sends one back. And we just haven't figured out how to do it yet. That's his theory. I'm freaking yeah. <laughs> out. Oh my gosh. All right. So in 1973, uh, Scotsman Duncan Lunnan. Oh, that's a Scots name. Yeah. I thought it was pronounced Lunan and I was really excited because I was like, oh, he's kind of like a space name, but it's Lunan, L-U-N-A-N. Um, he was like, all right, I'm going to go back and study the LDEs, the long delayed okay, yeah, echoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> it's so creepy. <laughs> So he <laughs> used, he gathered all of the data that we got from all of the research that we did on LDEs uh-huh. back in like the 20s. Okay. Um, and he was able to map out a star chart, oh, like no. based on the delays and the echo. I'm not sure exactly what science he used, but like people were like, yeah, yeah, that's correct science. Like, Um, Yeah, he mapped out the delays from the recorded echoes, and he found that um, when he mapped it out, it formed the pattern of the Bootes constellation, B-O-O-T-E-S. B-O-O-T-E-S. And it's not booties. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, it's B-O-O-T-E-S. And I watched a video on it, and the guy pronounced it like Bootes or Bootes. Like the O's, each, each of the O's had a different sound. Boo-o- something Boo-o-tis? like something sure. like that. Bo Otis might be. It's in the northern sky. I didn't even know this constellation exists, but it does. Um, and he, <laughs> this is really creepy. Oh. He claimed to decode the message that was being conveyed with the LDE data. He claimed that it pointed to a stable point between the orbits of the Earth and the Moon called L five. So he was like, that's where it must have been like sent to the Black Knight satellite. Because uh, he he connected the two. Or, like, this is where the message of the LDEs was sent from. And people are like, that must be the Black Knight satellite, L5. It's the spot in space between the Earth and the moon. That's all, even though, even when the moon is in orbit, it's always the spot between the Earth and the moon. That is a constant Yeah, that, spot. The, the location L5. That's okay. what he thought it was pointing to. Okay. Whew. But, all right, this is the message that he decoded from no. all the death. No, Sarah, just wait. Oh, all right, the message reads, it's really long. Start here. Our home is Epsilon Buotis, which is the constellation that is. Yeah. Um, which is a double star. We live on the sixth planet of seven. Check that. Sixth of seven. Counting outwards from the sun, which is the larger of the two. Our sixth planet has one moon. Our fourth planet has three. Our first and third planets each have one. Our probe is in the orbit of your moon. This updates the position of Acturus shown on our maps. Here's what, uh, this is, I wrote, here's where it gets crazier. <laughs> I, oh, no. not on our maps. That was the end of the. <laughs> I'm going to start crying. Yeah, yeah. Here's where it gets crazy. He realized 
that the star map that he had created using the data didn't match exactly what Bu what Epsilon Buotis, the constellation, looks like now. He realized that that is how the stars looked 13,000 years ago. I'm going to die. <laughs> so this means that the satellite containing that message was sent to Earth 13,000 years ago before, like... That makes sense because if they have to travel light years yeah. to get here, you know, you don't see the stars until they've been dead so for <laughs> years. I'm... And then, <laughs> my last bit <laughs> is that in 1998... The crew of the Space Shuttle Endeavor was able to take high-resolution pictures of the mysterious black object. So you can go online. Like, this is the most famous one. But what there are a whole bunch of pictures out there that you can look at pictures of the Black Knight satellite. Like, it's there. We don't know what it is. It could just be, like, space junk or, like, a rock that's misshapen or something. But all this stuff together, people are like, all right. <laughs> 13,000 years ago, an alien civilization sent us a message being like, we're here. Go to L5 and then keep going. We're the sixth planet of seven once you get to our galaxy. Like, <laughs> like my, I, I have chills. I have chills. My heart is beating <laughs> so fast. I, we should have had wine. You should have prepared me. <laughs> I, oh my gosh. I don't know why when I was writing down all this information, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And now reading it out loud, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know why. Like, it's it's hard to assume that aliens are creepy. I think it's because every movie literally ever has taught us that aliens are here to take over our planet and destroy us. There are so few movies in which aliens want to be our friends. And also, Independence Day is like one of the most iconic alien movies ever. And those, those aliens are here to destroy us. Like, that and Alien. Are, I mean, these aliens but they sound seem nice. like they're like this is where we are come visit like <laughs> right but there's still something so creepy I, I love that quote but i find it so creepy like i don't like i don't know what is more um either we are not alone in the universe or we are alone in the universe and i don't know which one is more terrifying mm. that's so true like i just I'm so practical that there's that there's a part of me that's like there is no way in the entire span of the universe, which is infinite, that we are the only story I'm looking for. Intelligent life, intelligent life form. Like there's just I, I yeah. know that in my practical mind, that yeah. odds are we are not, but I don't want to meet them. <laughs> yeah, you know. Aliens are fun in theory. But... Well, it sounds like these aliens are already much more technologically advanced if they yeah, figured cause... out how to send a probe to our planet 13,000 years ago. But also, if our planet formed after theirs, yeah. you know, cycle of life, evolution, if their planet formed 5 billion yeah. years ago, you know... I see and something saying. similar to us evolved, you know, if, yeah. if we assume that evolution is the same across all planets... Which we don't know. Do we know that? I don't know. <laughs> Auntie, come back. <laughs> Auntie, come back and tell me about extraterrestrial evolution. But yeah, if a planet formed longer ago and they've been around longer and they have a more advanced life, a more advanced society, that is totally possible. You know, we are nowhere near the oldest planet. We're a pretty young planet, I'm pretty sure. Also, maybe think about I don't, there are intelligent life forms that are just beginning their evolution. Oh, definitely. The solar system and the universe in general is so scary because nothing makes you feel, yeah. feel so small as to know that somewhere out there, there's another solar system and they have their own sun. Yeah. You know, something about, like, we think of the sun as the mightiest thing in our universe, and yet there are many suns. Yeah. Apparently, Duncan Lennon has since 
I think he is trying to distance himself from the Black Knight satellite. Like, I think he's kind of yeah. lately been like... And he also said something about how he's not sure of the location of L5 anymore. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, like, he decoded that message... That's so scary. But yeah, since then he's been like, I don't think what I'm talking about is the Black Knight satellite. I do think it's a satellite, mate. But he, he's kind of like distancing himself from conspiracy theories a little bit. Gotcha. But at the same time, I'm still like, ooh. And the fact that he's distancing himself makes me believe it almost a little bit more. Because that yeah. makes me think he's not like a gung-ho, like, tinfoil hat. <laughs> right. Tinfoil it hat. makes me think he's like a scientist who was really committed to finding the truth. Yeah. I'm looking at pictures of the Black Knight satellite. It does look like a ship of some sort. Not a ship, but uh There was one that almost looked like it had like some like letters on the side or something. It looks like it has wings. But like the fact that it disappears and reappears at random times. I hate that. I really hate this. And it's not like like they like when they say disappear and reappear, like I think my first thought was like, oh, like it goes into an area of the an area of orbit that doesn't have a lot of sunlight so we can't see it or like right things like that but we'd be able to look for it then and know when it would reappear in an area with sunlight but we can't yeah and it doesn't follow any patterns that we can find it's like all of a sudden one day scientists would be like all right let's look at the black knight satellite wait where to go and then like years will go by and they'll be like oh there it is again i don't like that <laughs> i don't like it how come we haven't gotten close enough to it to like actually invest. are you just afraid to well i mean i think it's kind of hard to like aim oh that's true also if it's got if it's operating in a separate in a different orbit and it's orbiting really fast yeah oh my gosh <laughs> so that is i feel like i'm being watched which the i am you know, we I, are amazon's watching me at the least yeah so oh yeah uh very much so all right so i have two separate reddit things because both are kind of short. Okay. My first one is someone posted on r slash no stupid questions on Reddit. And they said, uh, how do blind people know how to search for braille texts on different public spots like oh. bus stations or public toilets? And that kind of like made me curious. So I clicked on it. Mm-hmm. And a blind person commented that... Um, Blind is really much more of a spectrum than we think. Yeah. Like, it's very, very rare for people to literally have exist nothing. in yeah. absolute darkness. Yeah. A majority of blind people have, like, a, a little bit of vision. Yeah. And they can at least mm-hmm. see, like, there's a plaque there. I can't see what it is, but mm-hmm. I can go to it and feel it to feel for Braille. Mm. The reason why I put that, I was like, I feel like I know nothing about, like, vision how loss. Vision lo- Yeah. And yeah. I, I know a lot about it because I do a lot of, like, I thought you might, yeah. Yeah, yeah, But uh, there are actually glasses that you can try on. I did it once at a college class that show you. um, Because most degenerative vision diseases, Mm -hmm. they are very different in how you lose your sight. So some people, it's that you lose sight straight in the middle of your eyes, but you Uh have your periphery. Some people say you lose your periphery. Some it's one eye, not the other. Like some people, it's whatever. Um, And there are glasses that you can try on that show you what it's like for different ones. It's 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 a crazy experience. I really like, if you ever are in a position where you can try on those glasses, it's super fascinating because it really teaches you a lot. Because again, most people just assume that if you are a person who is blind, you have absolutely no vision whatsoever. It's just all darkness, but that's not really true. There was also one person commented on this question with, mm-hmm. like, 
a video, a link to a video on YouTube that was uh, a blind man sort of demonstrating how Mm -hmm. he operates the world. And he specifically was in a hotel, I believe, and he was looking for a specific conference room. Because he was supposed to go to a meeting. And he's like, let me show you how I find my conference room. Oh, that's Um, super interesting. And when he got to the room he had to go to, he found the plaque really quickly of like the braille to like read if it was the correct number room um but the location of the plaque was in a space on the right of the door that opened in that direction so he's like if i'm over here feeling this plaque and someone walks out this door i'm gonna get hit by this door also it's very near the thing i could get my fingers could get pinched so it was just kind of eye-opening of how like mm-hmm. Yeah, we put braille plaques, but we don't put enough thought into it yeah. of like it's actually making thought. the world accessible and safe for oh yeah people with vision differences. Like mm-hmm. that's like just... a lot of places have ramps, but the ramps are actually too steep for you to safely go up it in a wheelchair. Uh, it's a whole it's a whole bunch of stuff. We need to make the world accessible. We do, we do. And my second question is much shorter, and that is someone commented, "Why do we never have to sneeze while we sleep?" <gasps> that's so true. And apparently we do. Like sometimes people sneeze in their sleep. And if anything, we actually might be more prone to because our nostrils are more open when we're asleep because we're breathing more heavily. Um, But because we're not moving around as much, there's a little less air movement around us for dust to, or like other, to get into our nostrils. But like. Interesting. And I think because we're breathing more heavily, we might be able to like blow it out. Right, 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 right. But like a sneeze is caused by like dust or something and you need to sneeze it out. But like you just don't need to as much when you're asleep. But you can sneeze in your sleep and it happens sometimes. And I was like, what? Whoa. Now I'm going to spend my whole life waiting for me to see a person sneeze in their sleep. All right. Well, tonight when I'm sleeping in your bed because we're both scared, you can. Perfect. We'll take shifts watching each other and seeing if we sneeze. It's perfect. I love I love that activity. <laughs> All right. All right. That was great. Cool. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So <laughs> on a completely different note. <laughs> I would just like to say that I did not anticipate this when I asked you this question, but I've been catching up on Riverdale. And um on in season three of Riverdale, like I won't spoil anything. But there's a lot of mysterious things happening revolving around a game called um, Gremlins and Gargoyles, I think. That's so funny. And they refer to it as G&G, and it's, a, it's, it's, it's Dungeons and Dragons. That's and so funny. I was like, are you kidding me? That's so funny. This is well-timed because like, D&D is a through plot oh, in Stranger, Stranger Things, things yeah. and Stranger Things comes out in less than a month. I'm so excited. Woo! So... Yeah, this is going to be a completely different note, but that's fine. <laughs> um, so, like, Jade and I, neither of us have ever played D&D. No. We have people that we know from college that play D&D, and I definitely feel like um, by the time we left college, there were a lot of people playing D&D, especially, like, in our circles, not mm-hmm. necessarily our friends, but people who were friends of our friends. Yeah. Um, and it definitely became more popular. And even when I go back and visit Muhlenberg, I would hear people talk about playing D&D together. And it has become more popular. Mm-hmm. 2017, more D&D, D&D had record sales. So it is getting more popular. And it's a, a thing you 
buy. Yeah, you can buy a kit. You don't have to. There, there are like free versions, but there are expansion packs. All the, uh, th- it's all the stuff, Jane. You just, I, I'm only gonna skim the surface to for you to basically understand how this game is played because truly, it seems like you can't understand this game unless you play it, which is very much like that haunting game that we play. Oh my <laughs> god! Jane and I often go to this board game cafe with some of our friends, and there is this game. It's called like the haunting of something. Yada yada yada. It has the longest title ever, and it has over 200 stories that you can play and it's nuts it's this absolutely insane game um, <laughs> i think D is like ten thousand times more complicated really than that. it can be it has but it has base functions that i will explain um but anyway so her and i have never played D. i've never played a game of D. i am describing this based off of what i read on wikipedia the D website in a video from vox what is interesting, I think, though, culturally, is that D&D started as a thing that's like, nerds, you play D&D. And now it's become kind of, like, cool yeah. in a way. Like, I know two, we know two sets of people that have podcasts about D&D. It's become very popular. And it went from being this thing that, like, nerds and weird kids who were into fantasy did to now it's like people get together at, like, work parties and they, they play D&D together. It's become very, very popular because of this element of fantasy and storytelling and being Mm -hmm. able to escape yourself and be someone who is not you because you play as a character um and the appeal of that Mm -hmm. and like when you make your character like they're with you forever so it's kind of like your alter ego type of thing which is cool and very appealing and i understand that like i play the sims all day (laughs) (laughs) most of this info is from the dungeons and dragons website so DD is a tabletop role-playing fantasy game and it is nearly 50 years old um, it really? Was inve- yeah, it is. It was invented by Gary Gygax. I think that's how you say it. G-Y-G-A-X. Um, and Dave Arneson to, quote, personalize the massive battles of their fantasy war games with the exploits of individual heroes. And it was the first fantasy role-playing game. So they were taking card games and stuff like that that already existed that yeah. were tabletop fantasy games and adding a very personalized element to it. Um, so Vox made an excellent video explaining it. And this was a really good example of me seeing like people who I don't think would ever be labeled as like nerds or essentially be bullied for being into fantasy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the kids that look cool, but then it's like, it's okay for them to be into the fantasy. Oh yeah. That's what it, that's what this video felt like. It was people who work in like a corporate office office and then they get together and they play D and D. I was like, you are not the kids who were bullied, yeah. you know, in middle school for being into Lord of the Rings, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, I feel like what this started as no shade to people, no shade to anyone that plays D and D. I love Lord of the Rings. Oh. I also love Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Um, I feel like I would really be, be nerd, into D and just never found a community. To found do a community, yeah. And every time I tried, it just seemed so complicated that I got overwhelmed. I was like, yeah, you guys do it. <laughs> I feel like for me, what would be, I would be really shy about like inhabiting the role of my character because I feel very self conscious about those things. Oh yeah, and like stepping away from me and being that character because it can be so very different from yourself. Makes sense though. Then why so many of people we know like it because yeah. we know a lot of theater people yeah exactly exactly it's 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 a theater in itself so every game is run by a dungeon master who is the main storyteller it is the dungeon master's job to create and describe the adventure the other players are going on they create goals to motivate the players and rewards for accomplishing the goals but mm-hmm. unlike many other games it's not like a book that they read out of that's like ah oh, this is the adventure we are going on today yeah. the dungeon master can make that adventure whatever they want it to be they could be hiking through the mountains they could be discovering a forest going 
into a cave. Literally whatever they want. Mm. It's all. It's entirely from their imagination and the collective imagination of the players that are playing the game. The rest of the players are heroes and it is their job to work together to survive. You are not working against each other and you don't want to die. I like that. Which is fine. Yeah, that's nice. Um, so, and again, like the dungeon master also does not want the other players to die. Oh, it feels like that sometimes when I'm watching it. They're like, LOL, no, you got to roll for that. Like, oh, you have an idea of how you well, can Well, I'll explain what the rolling means. Uh, because there is a way, like, there, it can reach a point where the dungeon master has no choice but to say that that character is going to die. Um, because oh. of the choices that they make and because of the roll of the dice. But anyway. Okay. Um, so there are no winners in D&D. It's just an ongoing game. I still am unclear on how a game of D&D ends. I don't know if it ever does. Um, so if you know, tell me and how you realize when a story has oh, come to its conclusion. Please write into us if we are wrong that, about any of this stuff. I would love to hear from people being like, actually, I have information on this. Here you go. Like, yeah, and like if you play D&D, offer some clarification. Yeah. I did the best I could. Um, but there are no winners. So everybody creates their own hero and they will pick a race and a class. And class means kind of like job or like cast or class. No, I mean like am I thinking of like 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 social class or No, like- more like um trade or something like that. Like what they do. Like are they a mercenary? Are they like That's whatever? why I was like cat like the cast system. Mm, it, it kind of, but it's not quite as high. I need to brush up. I will on my explain the class. Feudalism. I will explain yeah, I will <laughs> brush up with my feudalism. I will go into the races and the classes in a little bit. Um so then you create your own hero and you fill out a character sheet, which is where the heroes will keep track of their strengths and weaknesses and those can go up or down. Um so it's literally like a form that you fill out and it will be like intelligence six, strength two, like whatever it is. Um, that can go up or down as you play the game. You can gain strength and you can like gain weaknesses. Okay. As you go, according to the dungeon master and other other things that happen in the game, according to the class that you pick. That there is a there is a handbook that will describe it. Being like these characters, like a dwarf cannot be strong in magic. They just can't. <laughs> Today I had to explain what a weakness was to a couple kids, <laughs> which was started out of a miscommunication because some girl had brought in a couple of markers that were like much skinnier than the markers we use. Mm-hmm. And uh, one girl referred to the skinny markers as the weak ones. Oh, oh. And she was holding one and she was like, this is my weak one. I thought she said like, this is my weakness. I was like, oh, that marker is your weakness. I was like, LOL, mine's ice cream. <laughs> and they were like, wait, what? And I based on this whole thing. That's where so they were like, funny. wait, so My ice cream marker. is your weakness? I can't believe she dragged her markers like that. <laughs> she just meant that they were skinnier, but I think they worked just as well. That's so funny. Um, so players will also decide what their hero looks like and any quirks that they might have in this video. Two examples of quirks in this video. One person said that their character is constantly handing out pamphlets. <laughs> and another has a demonic imp named Mother Teresa that follows him around. <laughs> but it like helps him sometimes. It's very funny. The video is so really funny. So in this universe, Mother Teresa exists. But she's a demonic <laughs> I guess I guess we don't know heroes will also pick their motivation on why they're doing what they're doing and that could be power it could be money tragic uh, and they, backstory yeah exactly like it could be any number of things that motivate them to go on these quests and like okay. be in this world and in this game um gameplay everything boils down to three simple steps in gameplay which is 
This is really all I can describe to you, which is that the dungeon master describes what is happening. The example from this video was they enter into a cave and there is a sleeping goblin sitting on a pile of treasure. What do you do? And this is for the player whose turn it is. The heroes will decide what to do together, but it's one player's like, it's their turn. So they're ultimately going to be the mm -hmm. person that does the third step, which is roll a 20 sided die to find out if they succeed or fail. The lower the number, the more likely you are to fail, the higher the number, you more like you you are more likely to succeed. 20 sided? How big is that? It's tiny. It's just like the sides are really small. Oh. So how do you know it's which one is circular. on top? Yeah. Oh, when you Google that, you can there's like a like a digital one that comes up that you can like click Google to roll. Oh, oh, there it is. Roll. Oh, I got an 11. So that's like middle ground. <laughs> okay. So for the example in this video was that the player chose to try to steal the treasure without oh. waking because the goblin is sleeping but she rolled a two so the dungeon master said you take two steps and the goblin wakes up oh because she so she was unsuccessful at her choice and then she has to make a new decision on what to do and okay. then they keep going so that's the base of it all now those are framed by the character's motivation the character's powers the class um, and also anything that the guidebook may say or the handbook may say about like strengths, weaknesses, whatever. So if the dungeon master knows, you know, stealth is super low, then that character's and that character fails, then the goblin will wake up. So it's kind of like you have this base of information that you're using to build a story. Okay. Which I think is I think it's interesting. It's complicated but interesting. Um, in D and D, there are no options for what to do. There's nothing telling the dungeon master. Oh, if they fail, this is what you do. It's completely out of the dungeon master's um, imagination. imagination and up to the players. Because there is no decided decided story, the story can evolve over several weeks and lead wherever you want it to. The dungeon master can decide that the goblin will be their friend or will be their enemy. Players, although they are working together, one player could choose because of the nature of their character to make a decision that completely changes the course mm -hmm. of everything and you just have to go along with it. It's a lot of improvisation, which again, I see why people we know like it. Yeah. <laughs> It's very lot of, okay, yes, and we're doing this. You can't get... Yes, and... Like, things will improv. happen... That, <laughs> the things will happen that you don't like, but you can't undo it. Like, it, you just have to keep going. This video gets, then yeah. got really dramatic, talking about how people can be alone, and there was this, like, montage of, like, wandering through corridors looking for clarity and connection, and D&D &D <sighs> helped them find that, which I thought was really nice, and, like, helped them discover a new side of themselves because their character was this thing that they never would be, and it was very freeing and, like, yeah. very beautiful and good for them. Um, that's the essentials of gameplay. Yes, there are a million layers to that, but those are really the three basic steps of D&D &D, mixed in with the things in the handbook that really you just learn over time by being there and playing. Yeah. Um, and by making bold choices and finding out whether or not you can do that. It's a lot of trial and error. Um, I'll explain the races. There are a lot of races, but this is what D&D &D considers the main ones. There's humans. Um, who would be innovators, achievers, and pioneers. Humans are like the majority of the world. Okay. Like there are side characters. There are also side characters and characters. You can buy like packs that are like a little bit of a given story and they'll have characters in that like come in and tell you to do stuff. And yeah. there's like basis. Like right now there's like a D and D event going on that's like worldwide that people are like playing this story. Oh. Yeah. Um and humans are like the most common in the world of D and D. Um, elves, they are magical creatures and they're into art. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. 
Dwarves are into mining, and they can be greedy, but also strong and very steadfast. Urban beings. Of course. Have you read The Hobbit? Right. Um, Halflings are like hobbits. Um, They like to stay at home. Aw, mood. No, there are gnomes, and they're into invention and inventing things. Oh, cool. And there are are half-orcs. Half-orcs are, like, big and strong and, like, really scary looking. Um, And they have the quirk of, like, that they could be evil, but they choose they can choose not to embrace it so they're kind of a like i might be bad but who knows type of race i feel like i'm very recently discovering that orcs Mm -hmm. are like a mythical creature that is not something that only exists in lord of the rings like i feel like in my mind i'm like ah yes orc the thing that J.R.R. tolkien invented to be the villain but like it exists in other novels and stories and yeah they're like um they're like a mythical creature yeah i didn't know that either but i knew it for a reverse reason i played skyrim before i ever read or watched any of the lord of the rings so then when orcs came up i was like what um because i (laughs) loved skyrim and i was like oh yeah these are all like mythical beings um, and they all like consistently look the same. Yeah, it's like what they're considered to look like. So those are the races, uh, the classes. So there's fighters. These again, these are main ones. There are more, but these are considered the main ones. Um, fighters, which would be knights, overlords, royal champions, or mercenaries, etc. In that vein, wizards, and they're into magic. Um, and there's like four major types of wizard there's fire lightning deception and mind control and i think within that you can like gain different types of magic and all of those um become the the avatar exactly (laughs) um there's clerics who are essentially people that talk to gods and do their handiwork so they're kind of like almost like priests and priestesses Uh there's rogues and they are assassins (laughs) thieves they're known for their stealth they're like the robin hoods rogues um and then rangers, and they're people that live in forests with bows and arrows. I couldn't really get <laughs> clear. But you know, like, in Game of Thrones, the Night's Watch, there are the rangers. They, like, go out and discover and kind of cultivate and things mm-hmm. like that. Those are rangers. Yeah. Again, like, some, some of this, there are, like, rules and things. And D&D, I think, has really fleshed out who these characters are. I'd be interested to know the impact D&D has had on other fantasy games. I've never played D&D, but I'm, I love Skyrim. Skyrim, Elder Scrolls. Five is like my absolute favorite video game I've ever played. I love that video game. Um, and I'm a huge fan of Elder Scrolls Online. And I love that fantasy and I love that universe. So I know part of this because I've played those games. Like I, for example, always play as a wood elf in Skyrim because wood elves are known for their archery and archery is my favorite. Like, <laughs> love, love archery. So I consistently play as those characters um, because I know those archetypes. And I wonder, you know, there's just, there are definitely similarities there. And I wonder how much D&D has influenced fantasy in general to know like oh like these are these are these types of people that we got they're really into that and this is what they're like and if other fantasy video games have borrowed off of that because mm-hmm. of the success and popularity of D, i think it's super possible because it's all about fleshing out characters yeah. and types and races and things like that which i think is really cool um, there is lore in dungeons and dragons that includes famous heroes and villains that are like used throughout the game you can that people all around the world will use. That's why there are like packs that you can buy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also online stories. Again, I said this that happen all around the world. There's also an online Dungeons and Dragons game that you can play, um, and there's parts of it that's free. You can also pay for like a subscription service. It reminded me of RuneScape. Were you ever on RuneScape? No, I feel like I saw ads for that. Oh my god, RuneScape was like this like Renaissance game. Oh my gosh, it was. Like- <laughs> 
like looking now at the graphics, it's like so bad. But it was like a online game that like a bunch of people would be on, and like you're you lived in like a medieval lifestyle, and you would have to like <gasps> cultivate everything you needed to like build your house or whatever. But it was, you could also like go and explore and fight things and stuff like that. And this is back in like I played RuneScape in like 2004. This is like 2004 graphics. Um, it's like really funny looking, but oh my gosh, I was so into it. It was the best. You could get married in in RuneScape. It was everyone. If you have not played Rune, first of all, if you've played RuneScape, like email me because I want to talk about RuneScape. Um, but definitely Google it because it's really funny looking. So most of the versions of the game also use alignment as a categorization of the ethical and moral perspectives of heroes and in-game characters. You know about alignments. Um, whether you know it or not. Many people have taken the alignment quiz for fun. It has two axes, law versus chaos and good versus evil. That's with, what that's from? With neutral being the center that originated for Dungeons and Dragons to help people decide who their characters were going to be. They take the alignment test. Oh my God. That's what that's from. Yep, that's what that's from. Um, it was I feel help- like someone told me that was from something different, but now I can't remember what it was. I feel like I would have known. Alignment was designed to help define role-playing, but a character's alignment can change if they perform too many acts that do not match up with their alignment. So, for example, if your character um, is considered to be a chaotic good, but they make too many lawful decisions, the dungeon master can say, like, yeah. you are no longer a chaotic character. You have changed to a lawful character. That's just so many details that it seems like the dungeon master has to keep track of. Like, it does. It, it's really hard to be a dungeon master, I would think. Because sometimes... You have to be so creative, yeah. so on your feet, so like... It also helps that typically people play with the same group over and over, oh, okay. and over again. It's like learning your friends and their habits. You know? <laughs> it is. It's, I genuinely mean that. It's like learning yeah. your friends because you, be, you inhabit this role and you learn the people of your universe. So the law versus chaos axis existed first, and then later they added the good versus evil. Um, in early versions of the game, lawful characters protected the interest of the group, and chaotic characters protected the individual interests, their their interests first. That was like the early version of alignment. Um, but the third edition of D&D created the two axes, and this were like what came out of that so lawful implies honor trustworthiness obedience to authority reliability but also judgmentalness and a lack of adaptability they believe that only lawful behavior creates a society in which people can depend on each other and will make decisions with the assumption that everyone will fulfill their duty which is very important to the game. Okay. Because what makes the game interesting is having a mix of a different types of people. If you have all lawful characters, yes, maybe you'll reach your goal faster or maybe you'll follow the rules better, but it might not necessarily make such an interesting game. Chaotic characters implies freedom, adaptability, flexibility, but also recklessness, resentment towards authority, mm. and irresponsibility. They believe that chaotic behavior allows full self-expression and freedom and that society will benefit from the skills of the individual. Um, those are who are neutral on this topic will respect laws, but they feel no compulsion to follow the rules. They are mostly honest, but can be tempted into lying. Then the other axis is good versus evil. Um, in D&D, good implies altruism, respect for life, and a concern for the dignity of sentient beings. But again, if you make too, if you are playing a good character and yeah. then you make too many choices that an evil character would make, you could be changed again. Yeah. Maybe against 
you as the person's intention. Um, evil implies a desire to harm, oppress, or kill others. Those who are neutral in this area are against killing the innocent, but lack the commitment to protect them. Mm. So I think it's also more common that people might not necessarily be good, but they could be neutral because they don't do enough to stop yeah. violence. But again, there could be people who are like, my intention is to kill people and gain power. It's very possible. So I took the alignment test twice. <laughs> I did it once for myself and once for what I thought you would say. <laughs> really? Yes. And I think I did a pretty good job. You know um, me pretty well. Um, we both got lawful good, which I think makes sense. I think we are both lawful goods, which means that we act as a good person is expected or required to act. We have a commitment to oppose evil with the discipline to fight relentlessly. We tell the truth, keep our word, help the help in need, help those in need and speak out against injustice. We hate to see the guilty go unpunished. Um, and lawful good is considered the best alignment you can be because it combines honor and passion. Aww. Yeah. So we, I, I would agree that we are both lawful good. I don't think either of us are chaotic goods. Like, I've been told before that I was neutral good, but I, I'd like to think that I'm lawful good. Neutral good would mean that um, you respect laws, but you don't feel <laughs> like you don't feel bound to follow them. Mm. Like, you're like, laws are fine, but they're not for me. (laughs) Um, I feel like I more so would feel like, at least in in this game, I'm not being like, I break laws all the time for the good of the world. But, like, I feel like within D&D, like, if there was an option where, like, you have to break the law, but it's to help someone, I'd be like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's hard because I this quiz this quiz is hard to do as a quote unquote real person as in yeah. you and me because the questions are really phrased in a fantasy world and also there are a lot of questions about depending on your government and trusting your government to do the right <laughs> thing according to your government. And I was it's like, it's a bad uh, time to ask Americans about that. Yeah, I was like, maybe not me as an American, me in a fantasy world. Sure, it's also hard. Also, if you choose to play as a rogue. Ooh. Very few rogues are going to be the but the best example of like a chaotic good rogue is um, Robin Hood. But I can't think of a lawful good rogue because the meaning of being a rogue is that you're an assassin and a thief. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's hard. Um, it's de- it's definitely tricky. I think in real life, you and I are lawful goods. Mm-hmm. I could see myself being a neutral good because it's like you can be tempted into doing the wrong thing. Yeah, you know, it's like. If you found a wallet with $6,000 in it, would you take it to the police? And I'm like, I would, but I would really hate it. You know, that's like the difference between lawful good and neutral good. Someone today, this morning on my way to work, the man sitting next to me dropped his wallet on the floor. And I I noticed because it hit my foot and I looked down and I saw it on the floor. So, oh, and I picked it up and I handed it to him. And the man standing up on the subway was like, wow, you could have kept that. You could have had a couple bucks. And I was like... He was, one, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Two, he was sitting right there. You think I'm going to pot? I just couldn't believe that that man was like, oh, I would have kept it. Like, he didn't say I would have kept it, but he was just mm-hmm. like genuinely surprised that like, he was like, oh, you could have had money. I was like, well, first of all, it doesn't look like there's a lot of cash in here. It was mostly credit cards. But <laughs> there's a paper trail. <laughs> there's a paper trail. <laughs> I have witnesses. <laughs> say you are a lawful good. You gave the man his wallet back. Thanks. So, Yeah. That's pretty much everything on D&D. Okay. Alignment is the thing I like. Someone invite us to a party. We'll be those annoying noobs who don't know what they're doing and ruin it for everyone else. I feel like it's so hard, too, because, like, (laughs) people, like, don't want to add, like, noobs to their game. Yeah. So it's, like, 
I don't know what's going on. And then it's confusing. Like, I feel like we just need to start fresh with a whole bunch of people and not know what's going on. You probably need a dungeon master that knows what's happening. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think you could just, I don't think you could They couldn't be like you and me being like, let's try. No, I don't think that would work with just one hero and one dungeon master. I think it would just be one of us manipulating the other just to find it, just to be funny. It definitely sounds interesting and fun, but complicated. Mm -hmm. It's a little daunting. There's so much, there's just so much freedom. Mm -hmm. I like games with a lot of structure. So that's it. That's all of it. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. I will unfortunately post that photo of the Black Knight satellite. It's so scary. It looks almost fake. Like, it looks like it could be something someone drew, and they, or like it was computer generated or something. But there's several pictures. It's so scary. It's really scary. It's just like, what is it? It's I don't know, but I'm afraid. And was that guy right? Did he get a, did we have a message from other beings being like, come to our galaxy. We're the sixth planet of seven. This is how many, we're the planet with this many moons. Like, it's too much. It's too much for me. Anyway, so that'll be there. Um, you can, if you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, pretty much Spotify, pretty much everywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com and we'll talk about it. And we'll be Hey Sarah. Yeah, Jean. You know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? Okay, so <laughs> I know essentially what happened with this person okay but i don't know like the details of it okay i know the inciting incident that's what i'm saying but i don't know any of the other details they're making a movie about it and i watched the trailer and i was like that's interesting and i'm pretty sure i looked at the wikipedia page but i honestly don't remember because i wrote it down in our notes and then i recently was like who was that and i googled it again and i was like oh right tell me about this person because it seems really interesting okay jane do you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering, Sarah? All right. So mine is also also kind of related to a movie that's coming out soon. So there's a movie coming out called Crawl, which is about... Uh, it's not about scary. bugs. It's not about bugs. Okay. Um, you're... Okay. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> there's a movie coming out called Crawl that's about, I believe, a, I believe somewhere in the South, I think it's Louisiana, during a tornado, a like, gator gets into the community <gasps> and starts attacking people. Um, this is a horror movie that's coming out. There is a movie called Primeval that I love. I This is one of the first horror movies that I was able to watch that I was like, wow, I genuinely enjoy this. Um, and it is about an alligator, sorry, a crocodile, a Nile crocodile named Gustav, who is in <laughs> Burundi. And he is a man-eating crocodile. He's a real crocodile that exists. Mm-hmm. And I want to know the true story of Gustav. Gustav the crocodile. The Nile crocodile. He is the very large crocodile. And if you... I want to know more. Because the movie Primeval is amazing, but it's super... It's not really factually accurate is at all. Is Crawl also about Gustav? No. Crawl takes place in America, and um, Gustav's in Burundi. So, no. I don't even um, know where Burundi is. It's in, it's in Africa. It's Oh, the Nile. Oh, the Nile. Gotcha. <laughs> the Nile. Um, not Nile from One Direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I I want to know more about the true story of Gustav. He's 64 years old. So he's... What is the lifespan of crocodiles? I don't know. 
Anyway, I want to know about Gustav the Killer Crocodile. Okay. <laughs> Sounds funny. <laughs> it's not funny. But also he's could killed, be terrifying. He's killed many, many people, but we don't live in the oh, Nile, okay. so it's we're safe. And most crocodiles are He's manners. still out there? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to find out. <laughs> oh, yeah. There have been capture attempts. This is why I want to know. We should watch Primeval. We're going to watch it tonight. You'll love it. We're already scared. <laughs> oh, no. We'll just keep being scared. Okay, we'll put it on the TV in your bed. Oh, yay. And I, I have popcorn. Oh, this is perfect. <laughs> it's midnight. Okay, we have to go. We don't have work we have, tomorrow. We, we have, are seeing a show that works. Well, whatever. Okay, we <laughs> have to go because we have plans. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> this is, you know, what I've been wondering.